BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Highly Relevant, a podcast where I interview, report, and review on the most highly relevant pop culture stories for U.S. Latinos. Well, for this episode, I'm devoting the whole show to just doing a postmortem on the Oscars. Latinos were the big winners, and as joyous as that is for me, it's an illusion, guys. It's an illusion. It's a veneer for all the real problems lurking underneath that no one wants to talk about. But I want to talk about it, and I'm going to talk about it right now, right here. I'm also going to tackle Steven Spielberg's Latino reboot of the movie musical West Side Story and why I think it's the worst idea Spielberg has ever done. It's going to be a travesty. So to help me deconstruct all of this, I asked my good friend Mike Sargent. You've heard him here on the podcast before. He's a national film contributor for Fox Business, PBS NewsHour, and chief film critic for WBAI Radio. We pick up my conversation Monday morning, right after we woke up. We got on the phone, and here's what we said. Man, I went to sleep, Mike, around like 2 in the morning, simply because I was unpacking, unspooling, unfolding the events of what happened at the Oscars, which for me were one of the great, in terms of inclusion and diversity, it was one of the great award shows that I had seen because, man, for, for me as a Hispanic film critic and a, and a Hispanic in this media profession, it is very hard to see us represented at the highest scales of these award shows that are, that since I can remember my brain, the visual has always been of a Caucasian slate of people celebrating themselves. And for, for us to finally see the representation of us belonging in these award shows and due to a certain extent, almost taking over the award show, that's how it felt. And I'm talking about from the elements of the show. You could hear it in the music. You could hear it uh, from the orchestral director who was African-American to the only thing was Jimmy Kimmel, but I like Jimmy Kimmel. So, you know, there's no problem with that. I don't want him out to kind of get, you know, Dave Chappelle, even though that would be great. Um, There was so much diversity and so much joy and rejoicing going on, including the commercials, I think I had mentioned this to you. I had texted you last night. I was like, is every other commercial now diverse? It was, I feel like I've seen a catalyst, a watershed moment that's happened because of the Me Too movement, because of a movie, a revolutionary movie like Get Out and Black Panther and even Coco itself. For the last year, we have seen three movies, and I would, I would say those are the three movies that have changed the game in Hollywood when it comes to cinema. What were your thoughts on the Oscars? Because I want to get to some other very relevant topics 
And I want to talk more about, not so much about the breaking down of this Oscars, but I want to know what this means moving forward and the progress that I expect to come after this. Well, uh, I, a few things. I, I didn't feel as, as effusively, uh, you know, um, joyous about it as you do, but I am optimistic about the future. And when you say three films, do you mean Black Panther, Get Out, and Coco? Yes. All right. Well, I think, yes. For me, those are the things that mean the most. I mean, while, and, and pardon the pun here, on the face of Oscar, it was very inclusive. It was very, there were lots of presenters of color and, and the, the, the Me Too movement moves forward and, and all of that stuff. That's all great. But the real deal is, and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you're aware of the, the, the document that was just released last week of the inclusivity, that has barely changed. And, and the thing is this, I am optimistic because of Coco and optimistic because of Black Panther and optimistic because of Get Out that there will be more opportunities along with being optimistic about Me Too, but I don't feel it's happened yet. I feel oh, that- wait, so are you saying this is all an illusion? I think it, it will, let's face it, Hollywood is the industry of illusion. So <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disparaging the, the, the inclusivity and it's great to see, you know, Tiffany Haddish and, and, and Maya Rudolph, uh, Maya Rudolph come out and present and that's all great. But, but Tiffany wasn't, uh, uh, uh nominated and Maya Rudolph, what, what, what roles is she being offered? Okay, uh, so so I, I say all that to say that in terms of inclusion and in terms of Hollywood, really, I mean, again, I don't know if you looked at that report that was just released. If you look at that, actually, report, yeah, I did. I did an article uh, where I where well, I mentioned right, this. Yeah, and two point seven percent of Latinos, yeah, uh, compared okay. to seventy eight percent of white Caucasian actors. Right. I mean, so, so yeah. So from where I'm sitting, uh this is good, but it's, it's like, it's a baby step and it takes, yeah, it takes a film like black Panther to blow all these doors open for them to go. Hmm. It takes a film in the time of, of, you know, all this, this prejudice against, uh, Latins and Latin Americans and Mexicans for a film that celebrates Mexican culture to win best picture. Maybe they go, Hmm, it takes, you know, uh, uh, get out, uh, to be a horror film, okay, and how much black horror filmmakers are there ever? Name name like five black horror films. It's you'd be hard pressed to do that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I saw right. Get Out, I said, "What was the last time you saw a black horror film?" Period. That's my point. My point is now what made Get Out so important is that it took the genre of horror and showed what you could do with it. What you could do with it in the hands of someone who has more to say than slashing, murder, cut up, torture porn, okay? You put in the hands of a person of mm -hmm, color, mm -hmm. they're going to take that genre and do something with it. We've had literally hundreds and hundreds of horror films come out in the last 10, 15 years. They're all pretty unmemorable and had nothing to say about anything, mm -hmm. okay? So to me, the, the, the real important part here and, and what, what I'm assuming you're getting at is this inclusion allows more diverse stories to be told. And that's what where I'm really with uh, Frances McDormand and, and when she made everybody get up, all the women get up and say how these films need to be financed and these filmmakers need to have things. That's, that's the problem. The problem is that the industry has to reflect reality. 
the industry, not just the commercials, not just the presenters, but the films that are coming out, the people who are getting paid, the stories that are being told. If I sound bitter, it's... I'm, 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 <laughs> no, I'm you, sound, you sound like you're charged up, and, and, and I know why you're charged up. You're charged up because of the same reasons that I'm charged up. Now, yes. I, I think that we also kind of need to, to, at the same time, as long as we're going to be critiquing you know, what is needed, we also need to kind of reinforce that what's been happening is also very good. So, for example, I'm happy that Shape of Water won, but I'm also honest as a person who's a moviegoer that I don't think Shape of Water deserved that win. I think, I, I think that the amount of great work that Guillermo has been doing uh, merited a Best Director, over Jordan Peele, who is his first time in making a movie. He has many more great movies until he gets a Best Director Award, but Best Picture, the most relevant movie, the most important movie of 2017 was Get Out. It's the movie that everybody and anybody who 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 had anything to say about movies, they talked about Get Out because of the impact and the ripple effect it had in social change. You know, for this, it, it kind of built up to what we got from Black Panther, and it started with that. And I've mentioned to you, Coco is another important film, and Black Panther is the most important film of 2018 so far. But I think Get Out should have won. You, I, I'm shocked about this. You don't think Get Out should have won? Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that Get Out shouldn't have won because I think it's a lot more relevant uh, a film than Shape of Water. Uh, and so, so no comparison there. Though, you know, in terms of best picture, there definitely were films that I thought were better contenders for best picture than uh, Shape of Water. But here's what I will say about Shape of Water. Okay, two things. One, and I agree with you about uh, Guillermo getting getting not you know winning for best director because I think he's you know he's definitely a great director, uh, but I think that Shape of Water is a safe choice. It's it's of all of the films that have come out from uh, I Tanya to 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 Mudbound. Mudbound to every film that ha- that was nominated that had social relevance, Shape of Water had the least social relevance. Okay, it had the least social relevance. It was completely bipartisan. There's nothing about it political uh, in any way, really. Okay, and it's a quote unquote feel good film. So, in my opinion, it's a safe choice to have acknowledged Get Out as best film. In my opinion, that would be the the advances. That 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 we're talking um, uh, films that are socially relevant should win Oscars, and that's how it was at one time, you know. But that that is not necessarily the case. I well, mean, what, what I, is here? Let me ask you this: What is the definition of a best picture? Because for me, the definition of a best picture is when a movie is highly acclaimed and has box office uh, numbers to back it up. So when you have both of those together, where no, no one can say anything bad about Get Out at all. How does that movie not win? Well, you know, I, I disagree with you on part of what you're saying. I, I, I agree with you that it should have a universal acclaim, but in terms of box office, you know, you look at most of, of the Oscar winners, they're not necessarily the box office winners. As a matter of fact, it's very often the opposite. It's the films that made the least amount of money. 12 Years a Slave didn't make much money. Uh, um, Moonlight didn't make much money. You know, there are a lot of films, and if you look back the last 25 years of Oscar, a lot of these films don't make money. But now, if they did, though, wouldn't that reinforce the fact that it is a best picture 
like I, I, again, you know, like like back in the day, like in all the president's men, when a when a best picture, it just you know captures everybody's uh, uh, attention. attention. Exactly that those days, I think, are somewhat gone because I think there's been a backlash against you know whatever's you know populist quote unquote fair. But, you know, it just in terms of Get Out, you know, as as those articles when we were talking before the Oscars and you were telling me you thought Get Out was was pretty much a lock to win. I didn't think so. It's I, I had had my doubts. But then when I started reading all these articles, how older white voters refused to see it because they felt it wasn't Oscar worthy. They they, they refused to vote for it because they felt it, quote unquote, played the race card. And- right. It was something that I saw on Twitter. Some anonymous Oscar yes. voter had written something. Somebody posted it. And it was a guy that was very upset that the movie had offended him. There it is. And, and, and I read that from more than one older white Oscar voter. Now, you know, that taps into something that has to do with you know the, the 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 conscience of the country okay and the dominance of those you know we all know throughout history whatever race of humans whoever's dominant is not going to let that dominance go very easily you know whether you're you know you know the romans uh, the yeah, it's survival of right you know, right so the people have been, right so people have been in control are going to want to stay in control you know so that that doesn't surprise me that that they're they're not wanting to to give up but the other part of it is too you know they were offended they were offended because who wants to be reminded of your you, no one wants to be reminded of your 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 bias or your privilege or the your, sins your, of your father or the sins of your father or or your own sins the sins of your father sins of your ancestors that's why historical black films never make money okay cuz nobody wants to be reminded of that black or white so i think that that it's it's a tough call you know, the audience, the, 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 you know, film viewers already voted for Get Out. Okay. But the Academy and, and the makeup of the Academy, that's a different policy. Yeah, they don't reflect the moviegoer. They don't reflect the press. They don't not reflect, yet. not yet. What not about yet. Mudbound? I'm shocked that D. Reese, who was, I think, nominated for four awards, went out empty handed. Well, I, I'm not. Okay. I'm not. Uh, I'm not because for three reasons. One, because it's Netflix. I don't think the industry necessarily wants to reward. But Netflix Net- was rewarded with Icarus, the best yeah, documentary. Yeah, but Icarus doc- documentary is a different animal. Okay, but we're talking about what Hollywood excels at. You know, you know the the, the creating you know uh, uh, illusions, the stories. Uh, you know, our, our gross national product in America is entertainment. So Hollywood it makes that, and so it, you know something new. You know that that doesn't give into the the again the 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 dominance that has been with distribution and, and theaters and movie and tickets and all the things that that have made a quote unquote movie a movie. You know, Netflix has pissed off a lot of aspects of the industry. Mm-hmm. Other distributors, well, they're, they're a disruptor. They're a disruptor, so they're not going to reward the disruptor. That's one. It's Two, completely anti-establishment. Exactly. And, and so I, I can't see Hollywood, which is as establishment as you can possibly get, you know, even though the people who work in it, the artists, you know, may not be and may have things to say uh, anti-establishment. But Hollywood, everything behind it, it that's not going to reward it. Two, I think that, again, we're dealing with that topic, again, of sins of the father. You know, Mudbound is, in my opinion, that would have been a good case. If that won Best Picture, I'd have been applauding. 
I, I wouldn't have been mad that Get Out didn't win because that's a film like, like Grapes of Wrath. You know, it's sort of a grapes of wrath of our time. It's a film. It's a uniquely American story. It's addressing some things that happen. It's not necessarily pointing a finger, but, you know, it's a powerful, powerful film. And in my opinion, it's what should make a a, a best picture, a picture that is just so powerful. It it grabs you by the throat and, and doesn't let you go. That's a best picture to me. So I, I, I'm, and then the third reason it didn't win, I think also because, you know, she's new, she's new and, but so is Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele is new, but he, 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 he's been in the business for a long time. He's got people who have grown up loving him. Okay. So he's, he's, and, and there's no denying the power of get out. So, you know, there's no denying it. You, you could say, oh, there are people who've been more disparaging about Mudbound. It was slow. It was this, it was that, it was depressing, whatever, you know, to me, okay. I don't know what movie you saw, but I I don't think you could, you know, you can't really deny, I guess, I guess, unless you're an older white Oscar voter, you can't really deny the power of get out. And it's also an experience in the movie theater. You know, one thing about Netflix and, and watching, you know, binge watching these things, it's something you do it with, you know, a loved one. You might do it with some family, might do it with some friends, but it's a very different experience to go to a movie, you know, uh, and, and, and see a movie and, and everybody is as shocked by the twists and turns as you. And, and it's, and it's an experience at the movie theater. Right. And, and you remember that it's a memorable experience. It's not just a good movie. It's a memorable experience. Mudbound didn't get that. Yeah. Mudbound, Mudbound and, and, and that, in some ways, I think hurt certain films. I think it's just hurt the new. I think it's film. the fact that it was on Netflix, man. I agree. That's number because one. Because I think I think I, I think that the association intuitively, you yeah. know, I think it's subconscious. Is that when you're sitting in your living room about to watch a new release movie on Netflix, there's the sense that it it looks like a TV movie. It feels like a TV movie. The phone's ringing, the dog's barking. That's not the experience you have in a movie theater. Now, I do want to talk to you about, I want to move on and, and talk to you a little bit about the ripple effect of last night's award show. This is something that I've been kind of racking my head. I've asked several other you know, culture critics uh, in the business about, will things change now, Mike? Uh, and it's a two-pronged question for Hispanics, for people of color overall, will we see a brand new Hollywood beginning today? Uh, when does this, how will this visually manifest itself from all this love and rejoicing of diversity and inclusion? Will most movies now be black and Latino? Will more Latino actors be hired more than ever before? Will Latino stories be told because the best picture was done by a Mexican? Will Mexican movies be the talk of 2018 and 19 and into the 2000s? What is the ripple effect of this Oscars into the rest of cinema? One, um, Rita Moreno, wore the dress she wore in 1962 when she won uh, Best Supporting Actress for West Side Story, which I'm assuming we're going to mention in a little bit too, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. remake. remake. But, um, but not, since 1962, and I asked you, how many other Latina actresses have actually won an Oscar? Penelope Cruz for it's, Vicky Cristina Barcelona as a Best Supporting Actress. Exactly. So yeah. only one in since 1962 
Nothing's changed since she wore that dress. Not no, much. Well, and here to reiterate, to kind of reinforce what you're saying, no Latina has ever won Best Actress in the 90 years of the Oscars. That's it. Okay. That that answers that question. So, two, uh, I think the possibility of change only comes for two reasons in Hollywood, in my opinion. Two things can really change things. One, in the case of something like Black Panther and Get Out, okay, and uh, uh, Hollywood realizing, oh, st- black stories will make money, so we'll make some. That's how the black exploitation era was launched. When Melvin Van Peebles made Sweet Sweet Back's Badass Sound song out of the system, Hollywood was like, oh, we got to go after some of that money, and that's what will happen. So Hollywood always follows the money. So if money's being made, okay. They will, they, they may start doing that. That's one. Two. Okay. Um, what uh, Francis McDormand talked about the inclusion writer. I think that that's very significant. I think it's significant because what it essentially says, I don't know how many of your listeners heard it and how much you know about it, but yeah, essentially it says kinda, that. Yeah. What is inclusion writer? All right, the inclusion writer basically means that you as the star, okay. As the star of the, of the film have the right to say, I want, X amount of the crew to be women. I want X amount of the crew to be people of color. I want X amount to be LGBT. Uh, and you can, you can, you will sign on if those things happen. But see, it now, sounds to me like it's strong arming the studio and absolutely, the director. Absolutely, yes, absolutely, yes, it is. <laughs> but that's kind of you know that's kind of messed no, up, though, man. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's messed up that it has to be that way. But hello, why do we have to have civil rights laws? Why couldn't we just be civil? Why do we have to have laws that that are created for for minorities and inclusions? Because they wouldn't hire them if they didn't. They had to make it a law. They have to strong. You have to strong arm the existing structure to make it comply with change. That's just the bottom line. Because if they don't have to, why should they? Why should they make a, a Why should they give Latinos or Blacks opportunities to make films when they're going to come see the white films? Why should they? Why do they have to create a black hero if we're going to go see the white heroes? Okay. Why? Why do they have to create a Latino hero if the Latinos will go see the white hero and the black hero? Why? Why should they have to? They don't. Okay. So you have to strong arm them. So that, that's, that's the second thing. The third thing I think is as more things like this become successful. You know, there's other stuff in the pipeline, you know, and, you know, we've talked about Afrofuturism, you know, Octavia Butler is a famous black science fiction author who's no longer with us. And she was a friend of mine. A number of her projects are being made. You know, we'll see how well A Wrinkle in Time does, even though it was an, it was at least directed and starring a primarily black cast, even if it wasn't originally visioned that way by the original author, Marion D'Angle. So I'm just saying that that no, I don't think we're going to see a new Hollywood. I think we will start to see some change. And I think that that change will come from the strong arming and from seeing that there is there's there's gold and then there are hills. Hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting because you know I hear you talk about about this change, and there's a couple of things that I'm still very skeptical about. You know, I love sort of the fanfare. I, I think I might have told you the Coco performance that happened last night with Natalia Laforcade, Miguel, and Gael Garcia Bernal. My wife cried. Wow. Cried, and, and I asked her, I said, why are you crying? She goes, number one, because I love the song. I love the movie. But number three, 
It's because of what it represents. And when she says that, she's talking about peeling the layers of psychological and emotional fucking mm. like inferiority mm. layers mm. that the Latino culture has had to extract. Like, you know, we're talking real right now, man. Let me say a couple of things. You know, I had written this article and there was a PhD on Twitter that had said to me, hey, I really liked your article. I think you had some valid arguments, but you should not you know, bring in any African-American references to this article whatsoever. You know, uh, do not compare. Uh, we're all in this together. And I agree with him. I have to bring up African-Americans when it comes to Latinos because we kind of been in this struggle together, trying to be included, except that, you know, while African-Americans have succeeded in, 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 in reaching certain milestones, we're still in the back. Still trying to pound on that door, trying to get in, kind of like what Guillermo del Toro said when he kind of took his Oscar award, uh, pushed it in front of the microphone and said, this Oscar award is a door. Kick it in and come in. And I was like, exactly. But here's the problem. And here's the problem. I congratulate that Mexican directors Latino directors like Sebastián Lelo uh, from Chile winning yesterday and Adrian Molina, a Mexican-American LGBTQ, uh, won for Coco as well. But the problem is they're not hiring Latino actors. What was the last time that Guillermo del Toro hired a Latino actor? What was the last time that Alejandro González Iñárritu Alfonso Cuaron hired a Latino actor. And this is a call out to them. And then no one wants to talk about it. That's why I have this podcast. Because there's just... There is this pressure to have to... Not be negative at all about the Hispanic market. Because we've been at each, other, at each other's throats for so long. The Mexicans don't like the Argentinians and the soccer games really show the division amongst the Hispanics. And when Donald Trump was elected president, 39% of Hispanics voted for him. What's going on? We're all divided. So more than division, we need unity. And I think what happens is that starts rolling into the journalists where we're supposed to be objective, but we become subjective. And we start writing positive stories all the time about Hispanics and not calling out the problems. And the way I see it, Mike, is talk about the problems so we can finally solve them, so we can finally fix them. But if we always say everything is peachy and the Oscars was great because look at the amount of Hispanic representation. There's music, there's directors winning, there's foreign films winning. Uh, this is, But where is the actor? Where is the Latino movie star that's a bankable star for a movie over $100 million and his salary is 30 to 50. Where is that Latino superhero that Marvel should be having? There is not one Latino Marvel superhero, neither DC or Marvel. We're fucking invisible, man. We don't exist. I couldn't agree with you more. And I have, I could, you know, if you want me to respond to that, I have a lot to, you know, part of the problem is, I think, you know, and, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna relate it. I think you, I agree with you that you have to uh, acknowledge what uh, you know the 
African-Americans because they're not just all African, you know, there's West Indian, there's, there's African, there's, you know, blacks from the South, you know, and they are definitely more unified than Latinos in America. But, you know, the two ways of being successful, okay, are either staying in, you know, being off key until everybody's like, all right, well, that's your style and you're David Bowie and you, you know, and there it is, or you try and fit in. And I think a lot of Latinos, especially when they've gotten in a position, they're trying to fit in. You, Jennifer right. Lopez will will say, "I'm not a Latina actress. I'm an actress who happens to be Latina." Well, that's what Andy Garcia says. Do you know? Well, did, did you see that interview it, that I did with Andy Garcia? Almost scolded me because I called him a Hispanic actor. He was almost offended no. by it, man. Well, now you see, that's the thing. They are, and I was going to mention Andy Garcia because what's his most money making roles? He was not playing a Latino; he was playing an Italian. Right? Okay. Godfather those, those three. Are, or, right. or, or yeah, Godfather three, or or you know any any a number of the films when he was a commercially bankable star. So, but the difference between Black Panther and every other Will Smith. Uh, uh, you know, Denzel Washington, you know, all the movies that, that a lot of these uh, act, black actors, science fiction movies that black actors have been in, it's where they're characters who happen to be black versus a character who is proudly African, proud of his culture, proud of his heritage. He ain't trying to fit in. Okay. That's what makes it so different. And that's what is not happening. When when Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas hit Hollywood, Hollywood had no idea what to do with them. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, they didn't know what to do with them. I mean, and they came in oh, with very no heavy accents. They came in and, with very heavy accents. That was yeah, around but, the same time I mean, that Salma Hayek was coming great in. great actors. They're both great actors. Fantastic Tony actors. Banderas, I've seen him do stuff where I go, oh my God, he'll do something silently. And you go, oh my God, what a fantastic <laughs> actor he is. But, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's in stuff doing, you know, B-movies and, and, and whatnot now. Because, again, now, he's older now. He's not quite the leading man he once was. But he should have had easily the career that, let me just not name names, let's just say a lot less talented white counterparts have had. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and that brings me to the whole point about, see, the, the, the fraction in the Hispanic market is, as 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 happy as I am, look, I'm Col I'm Colombian American. So my parents are Colombian. I was born in New York, so I identify more as an American than a Colombian. And you can see certain things that other people can't see as a Hispanic. So, for example, Antonio, Penelope, and Javier Bardem are Spaniards. They're Spaniards. Their their whole view of the world is very different than a Latin American. Very different. Absolutely. And then. When you have the Spaniard, the Latin American, then you have to take into consideration the U.S.-born Latino, which is me. And the one who identifies more as an American than a Latin American and obviously as a Spaniard. That the only thing that unites us is the language, right? But U.S.-born Latinos, some of them don't even speak Spanish. I've met a lot of them. Way too many more than I thought I would. And I think that the conversation slowly within the press and I know that I've been uh, one of the catalysts for it, is where is the U.S. Latino in any of this that has more of a shot to make it into the Hollywood business because we're born within the fabric of the country as opposed to having to get visas and, and be afraid of being deported and the papers and, 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 and overcoming language and overcoming immigration stories. We don't have to do that. We can create a romantic comedy, an action movie, 
So where the hell are the U.S. Latino filmmakers? And if they're there, then why aren't they getting the opportunities? And so those are many of the questions that 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 I see, and hopefully I can impart on you, so you can start seeing those too. Um, you know, the the most successful a U.S. born Latino filmmaker is a filmmaker named Frank Reyes. Does he get the love he should and the opportunities he should from from the community or from Hollywood? Absolutely not. Now, what you but think it, that's because he's creating way too many urban films? Well, that brings into a whole other conversation. Like, oh, is he presenting, you know, a positive image no. of the Latino? Yeah. Well, again, I, I would love for you guys to get into it. But like you said, there, there, everybody, unfortunately, there are conflicting agendas and conflicting uh, views on what Latinos should and should not do, how they should and should not be represented, how they should and should not assimilate into the culture and, and, and what it is. I mean, like you said, it's pretty sad, the state of Latino film. And that's not to say there aren't talented Latino filmmakers and Latino actors out there, but in terms of representation, you know, those statistics don't lie. Okay, that 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 report is is sad that this is 2018. She wore that dress in 62. Yeah, I, bet- I, re- I really like the uh, sort of the statement that you were making that I had not really thought about it that and, and I'm, I'm assuming here that what you're saying is that the reason she wore that wasn't necessarily as a tribute to her wearing it when she last won it, that there was a much more dimensional aspect that was saying something about having that dress on last night. Uh, you know, that's open to interpretation. Only Rita Moreno knows. But that was my instant take on it. When I saw it and I saw her standing there getting the award, she's a real Latina. And the other actors who were playing Latinos who were not really Latin, I thought about that. And I thought about how much has not changed in that amount of time. Yeah, she, I think that the dress right. was literally saying nothing has changed. It's that's the same it's, dress. That's what it said to me. Exactly. It's like, I still exactly. 1962. <laughs> exactly. That's what it said to me. Now, you know, that's just my interpretation. No, it's. A, I, I think it's a great interpretation. And I think there, there, there was something uh, going on there. Um, let's talk about, uh, before we wrap up, let's talk a little bit about uh, another part of the continuation and the future of Hispanics and inclusion and diversity in film. Now, you've heard recently that Steven Spielberg is rebooting West Side Story, the musical. The great, great, uh, I think it was nominated for like 13, 14 Oscars. It's considered one of the great movies and great musicals in the history of cinema. For some weird reason, Steven Spielberg, a white Jewish director, has decided that he wants to redo West Side Story, which is, for the most part, perfect. I agree. They could re-release that right now in 3D. People can see <laughs> Exactly. There's, there's only two reasons for me that you would want to get this right, and I think that those two reasons are the following. One is to get the authenticity of the characters right, because Natalie Wood was never Hispanic, obviously, uh, many of the characters there that weren't Hispanic, and I think they want to do that right. They want to get real Latino uh, actors to play those roles. And then secondly, I always thought that one of the big problems with the movie was that the actors just weren't good singers. I had a lot of problems in just even hearing the soundtrack today when they sing. I leave the instrumentals. 
but I cannot listen to the vocals uh, of that for, for too long. So he might want to get Latino actors, but then you had brought up the point, what Latino actors are you going to get that are bankable enough to do this? And I thought that was interesting. I mean, the only person that you have to start off the whole movie with is I'm sure that a call already went out to Lin-Manuel Miranda to be part of the musical uh, soundtrack and to be in the movie and maybe even the lead. That's going to be interesting to see what happens. But how do you see this playing out? You, you coined it right. You say to get this right. So to, to film a story about uh, Latino gangs in the 50s in New York and cast it with Latinos, that's, it shouldn't be groundbreaking, but that would be groundbreaking. You know, there have been opportunities, you know, like I'd mentioned when Ridley Scott redid, you know, Ten Commandments, you know, they could have cast it with, you know, what he said, who's going to pay to go see? Well, you know, again, you know, there's no Latino actor, okay, really, that's a, a bigger name than Spielberg or as big as a name as Spielberg. So you're going to go see it because of what it is. You're going to see it because it's Spielberg and because it's West Side Story and you want to see what he did with it. And if he updates it and there's great camera moves and there's great fantastic choreography and, and they update the songs a little, they modernize them, it could be very exciting. And he is an artist to want to stretch himself. That could be exciting too. Okay. So it could be exciting, but the most exciting aspect would be what you said to cast it ethnically correct and to cast it with people who are up to the task of, of that. He Spielberg can be a star maker, you know? So I, I think that that's the only reason to do it though. I will say, I think you could re-release the original West side story in 3d. Now people go see it, but do you, I, do, I do, do, think, do you think that, uh, that, that a West side story musical by Steven Spielberg casting unknowns, would be a wise move for Spielberg. Um, you know, because we're living uh, in that American Idol, The Voice era where everyone can act, have, everyone can sing, everyone can dance, and there's a lot. The, the Voice just did a Puerto Rico edition. Well, here's the thing that that's the thing. I mean, I think Spielberg has had an interest in Broadway for a while. I mean, I don't know if you watched the show Smash that he produced. I loved Smash. It was, I loved it, Smash it was my too. guilty pleasure. It was a guilty pleasure. I loved it. I love where it was going. I love the idea that the TV series could have turned into a piece on Broadway. I love that whole concept. And obviously, he's not quite let that go. So, you know, there is there have been some great musicals. And he grew up during that time when they made great musicals. And nowadays, we really only have, you know, Baz Luhrmann, who's kind of hit or miss when it comes to musicals. Oh, my God. Did you see that Netflix show that he did? Man, epic in terms of production. Yeah, but I... I didn't see it, but I heard. I saw like two so, episodes and I had to turn it off. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, so that being said, I mean, I would love to see him, you know, revitalize uh, for a younger audience seeing a musical because they're, with the exception of La La Land, and La La Land is, eh, you know, there, there really hasn't been a, a musical that has really, you know, uh, captured the the younger audience, though Glee was hugely popular, and and it was largely redoing songs that were popular songs, and you know that whole cast, they you know they were all unknowns when that started, but they were all just very talented. So I think it could work. 
It could. And let's just hope he's more successful than Clint Eastwood at stretching himself. Yeah, I just, look, I also think that Steven Spielberg is hit and miss as well. Uh, I thought that the Post, the re, you know, somebody said, why? Well, I read an article, you know, some... Some of these guys, they just kind of create stories because the editor tells them, hey, listen, uh, can you just create anything that's a little controversial? And one of those things, why wasn't Steven Spielberg nominated for The Post? It, You know, it's nominated for Best Picture. Why not Best Director? It's Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and I'm going because he, he called that one in. He has said in Q&As, because I've been in those Q&As, where the movie was rushed. I I I don't know. I I, I disagree with you on that. What you Steven know? Spielbergisms did you see in, in in his directorial traits in that film uh, that say Steven Spielberg? See, I, I I didn't look at it from that standpoint. At Any all director I, could have done that. Any director I, could have I done disagree. that. I disagree with you. I'll tell you why I disagree with you because I think, for instance, um, you know, uh, some years ago. Ron Howard, who I'm not a huge fan of, who I think is kind of a low-rent Spielberg, Ron Howard <laughs> made, uh, he made the paper. And the paper for a long time- Is that now, the one with Michael the, Keaton? That's the one with Michael yes. Keaton. Paper for a long time was one of those scripts that had been bouncing around Hollywood had gotten a lot of play. And that was back when I was, you know, you know, budding filmmaker, writing screenplays. And so every screenplay that was getting heat, you heard about, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and that was what was, what the term was a bulletproof script. The script is just so good that nobody could screw it up. And, you know, Ron Howard almost did. It was a very mediocre movie with a fantastic script. And a fantastic cast. That, fantastic cast, fantastic script. And the movie was like, eh, you know, yeah. the, 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 the moment when it should have been stuffed that you're just caught up in it, that whole moment in the restaurant, it was like, eh. I felt that, that the post to me did what that movie should have done. I thought the post was a classic. I thought it was great. I thought he, uh, is that, is that no, no, somebody no. buzzing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought that he, I thought he did a great job. I thought that the, for me, that movie completely worked. I, I, I loved so many things about it. Uh, I could go on effusively. So we have to agree to disagree. Look, I, I have problems with it right off the bat. Why so Steven Spielberg, so why is a Caucasian, dictating inclusiveness on film. Uh, you know, it bothers me that it can't be a Latin American or a or U.S. Latino director. I know they don't exist, but who the heck is building them up to become the next Steven Spielberg? Again, between white directors hiring Latino right? and Latino directors not hiring Latinos, actors, Jesus, man. Number one, I think that Broadway people are going to be like, are you crazy for rebooting this movie? No way. I, I'm not going to go see it. So I think a lot of people are going to be negative about it right off the bat. I think that, it, you know, there's so many enigmas, there's so many questions more than answers that I'm right at this moment, I have to see a lot more. I have to see the idea fleshed out. I have to see uh, the vision where he's taking this, how much... Uh, is Lin-Manuel Manuel Miranda involved in this, if he's even going to be in the film? There was, I'm not sure if you know the story about In the Heights and Universal Pictures. Uh, talk to me. In the Heights was the first musical that Lin-Manuel Miranda had created, and it won the Tony, okay? That I remember. I right. remember all it that. It was a New York story about Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, uh, Latinos living in Washington Heights here in New York City, uptown Manhattan. He wins the award, and everybody started saying, hey, you know, when are, when are they going to make the movie? 
So when he started creating Hamilton and it was already kind of just playing it to the President Obama and, and, and concerts here and there, um, Universal Pictures and, and, and Miranda's team had gone to Universal and had started talking about making it into a feature-length film. And what they wanted to do with this was to bring in every single big-name actor and singer into the film. Shakira was dropped uh, as a name. Beyonce was talked about as one of the characters. Jennifer Lopez, who even though was, I think at the time was 38, 40, 42 years old, she wanted to be the, 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 the love interest in the film. There was talk whether Lin-Manuel Miranda was going to be a part of it. Wilmer Valderrama was coming. Every single Hispanic name that you can think of, even if they weren't actors, they were going to be in this movie. The problem was that Universal Pictures said, we're only going to give you like five million bucks to make the film. And don't quote me on the number, but it was something low. And they said, no, no, no. Kenny Ortega came in. I was at the Four Seasons in LA and I bumped into Kenny Ortega and Wilmer Valderrama having lunch there. And it was around the time that In the Heights was being talked about. So I was like, okay, I see what they're going here. And unfortunately, they never did anything with it because everybody was asking for an arm and a leg in terms of salary, in terms of rights, maybe equity in the box office stake, everything else. And Universal said, listen, we don't know if diversity is going to work in film. We don't know if people are going to go watch this film. Obviously, you know, they they have eggs on their face now, and I think an In the Heights film would work. Maybe it's past its time, and maybe Hamilton should be the one that, that gets a feature-length treatment. But this is the problem, my man. This is the problem of why I don't think that West Side Story is going to work, especially with someone like Steven Spielberg who doesn't understand the Latino market. Um, I don't know if it's going to be genuine. Even if he does bring them in, I'll applaud him for that, but ultimately, it's the execution of how that plays off is what I'm going to be looking at. Did it work? Did you discover somebody new? Was the music even better than before? Was the choreography better than before? Were the characters really authentic? Don't, don't give me a Mexican actor talking like a Puerto Rican. If you're going to get a Puerto Rican actor, get him to play the Puerto Rican character. There needs to be some sort of somebody, some Hispanic consultant, advisor, co-director somebody needs to come in and say here's what you need to do and they need to get folks just like pixar did it lee unkrich gave me the whole breakdown of how they did the research they brought in mexican consultants uh, four five fifteen of them to come in and just do be do focus groups if he can do it like that then maybe we get somewhere but i'm iffy about it man Okay. Well, I needed to know what you thought. I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, and, and like I said, I think it could work, but, uh, I do think it's a bit of a long shot and, and I, and I agree. I mean, you know, he's one of the few directors who could pull it off in terms of having almost no names or having, you know, big names in smaller parts, you know? Uh, and you know, I'm reminded you know, I'd, I'd read about how they did this too and how they brought in all these consultants and focus groups. But I'm also reminded of, I interviewed Reginald Hudlin mm -hmm. for uh, when he produced um, um, 
oh man, the Quentin Tarantino film. Uh, uh, Django Unchained? Django Unchained. When he produced that, you know, and I asked him, you know, you know, white guy doing a movie about a slave revenge, blah, 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 blah. And he says, well, look, he says, who else besides Quentin Tarantino, white or black, could have gotten this film made? Yeah. And he's right. And he's right. <sighs> and, you know, though, unfortunately, Spielberg, who I do think his heart is in the right place, and I think if there's anybody who's going to try and do it right, you know, but we all know he's tried. He's tried with Color Purple. He tried with Amistad. Neither of those films really, let's just say, they definitely didn't ignite the Academy. They didn't ignite super with audiences. Uh, so, you know, if you call it hit or miss, I don't know if you'd call it a hit. But again, will audiences embrace it? Will Latinos embrace it? That's my big question. Yeah, well, listen, I, I think if you do something of quality, first of all, it's not a Latino story. Uh, it, nope. it's, a, it's a New York story. Yes, it is. Um, and so your Latinos aren't... Uh, one thing that I've, I've been telling movie studios, because sometimes they give me a call, you know, the marketing department say, hey, you know, just interested in knowing your thoughts on this. Can you come see this movie? Like they did the same thing with Death Wish for some reason. And uh, I said, all right, cool. They wanted a Latino perspective on it. I said, sure. You know, w w one of the things that they, they always call you about is like, well, do you think they're... Latinos don't go out to see Latino stories. They just go out to see great stories. It doesn't matter if there's a Latino involved. Now, that's the movie-going concept. That's, that's their perspective. But what we're talking about here is don't leave it up to the moviegoers to dictate social changes. Leave it up to us, the media, the critics, the, the ones who have more of a sense of the pulse of what real change in America looks like. And that is having a director. Listen, how would, how would you have liked, how would this have rolled off of you if Black Panther was directed by a white guy? Because he's the only guy that could have gotten that movie made. But everything about Everything else about it is black. How would you have felt about that? I I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%, but uh, right now that's the reality. The reality is there name who who uh, I mean if Guillermo del Toro decided he wanted to do it at this point, he might be able to get it done. But I can't see why he would want to. He's never done a musical. No. And I can't see why he would want to. This is not a story that would resonate with him. This is not the kind of thing he likes monster movies. That's his thing. You know, uh, you know, uh, I can see it, Alejandro Gonzalez in Yaritu because he sort of alluded to it with Birdman. Maybe. Yes, right? There was yes, allusions to broad. a was theatrical, yes. maybe musical type of thing going on. I agree. When Guillermo del Toro and the three Amigo uh, uh, directors decide to hire Latino actors and to finally do crossover mainstream reverse inclusive stories like like uh, uh, Camille Nanjiani said. You know, it's great what he said. He basically said, listen, I grew up watching white movies and I related to them. Now it's time for white moviegoers to relate to my Pakistani Indian stories. He said, why can't our Latino stories be looked at in the same way? Why don't you relate to those? So we just need more stories that sort of you pend the status quo of the storytelling machine of the way it's being told. And I think that we can learn a lot from, from what black filmmakers are doing and black screenwriters are doing, where they're creating stories that resonate with everyone. Actually, you know who's the only guy that can pull this songs more? It's Robert Rodriguez. 
there's a U.S. Latino director creating U.S. stories that happen to have a Latino angle from it, whether it's the lead actor or where there's a, a side story. Um, his films feel like Latino but American. And, you know, for some reason, this guy can't just seem, he's hit a ceiling and can't seem to get past that ceiling. Let's yeah. see how the future treats him. But I think that that's someone that needs to be more talked about. We need to see more movies from him. And he needs to create his successor. He needs to. I would I would see Robert Rodriguez directing West Side Story. I would go see that. Really? Oh, yeah. It sounds it off brand. Fun. It sounds off brand, but it would be fun. Because he, he always, all his films are fun. There's there's fun. There's an enthusiasm about film and filmmaking and film storytelling, and and I, I again I like the energy he puts into his films. Robert Rodriguez and Lin Manuel Miranda. Just that alone is so odd. <laughs> that sounds weird, man. That just doesn't sound right. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> I, I I love it. I love it. No. All right, Mike. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, great talking to you. Incredible conversation. Post down, post breakdown of the Oscars 2018. Uh, hope you guys listen. If you guys have any opinions, please uh, leave it in your reviews. Tweet at us at Jack Rico Official. Mike, where can people reach out to you if they want to give you a shout out? Uh, well, they want to give me a shout out on Twitter. It's at Mike on screen, uh, or you can go on my late night show, Night Shift. You can go on Facebook, N I T E S H I F T, and see the weirdness that I cover there. I'd like to thank Mike Sargent for stopping by the show. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on our iTunes page. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.